Hey, everyone. Welcome to Alumless. I am Ryan Catherwood. It is Friday, 1130, July 21st. Great to have you with us. Chris Marshall, how are you doing today, sir? Doing great. Living the dream, Ryan. You know the drill. <laughs> Living the dream. Well, glad to be back with you with another edition of Alumless. Alumless is a CMAC production on the show. We talk about alumni and donor engagement strategies in higher ed and sometimes other things, but mostly that. We are live today, streaming on LinkedIn as well as on YouTube. So if we are not connected on my profile, uh, the CMAC business profile, we haven't, I guess LinkedIn has not provided us the juice to be able to publish live on the CMAC business page, but hopefully we'll get some more publishing there and we'll get some, we'll publish on the business page as well eventually. Uh, we are back from Case Summit. We have a great guest today, and Temi Akinaina from Western University in Canada, who we both had a chance to chat with while we were there. But uh, Chris, so yeah, this was my first summit, Case Summit in New York this year, and uh, we got a chance to catch up, of course, a couple times. But what, uh, looking back on it, what were some of the highlights that you had from the conference, some of the takeaways? Mainly for me, it was the great meals with you, Ryan, and clients. Yeah. <laughs> we had a couple of good CMAX <laughs> splurged from for some very yeah. delicious lunch and dinner. Uh, Nobu yeah, for dinner. That was a Nobu treat. for invited, dinner was a treat and invited myself. Yeah, that was great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so uh, back to Temi real quick. We're going to bring her yeah. out in just a minute. But uh, we bumped in, had a nice chat at uh, Case Summit. But she reminded me that she and I met when she was at McGill University a couple of years ago or many years ago. And I was there doing some interviewing and I remember speaking with her and thinking and leaving that meeting, thinking that, wow, there's a future star and here she is. A star has risen and I can't wait to bring her out. But for yeah. case summit, um, AI, AI and AI were the three buzzwords that kept coming up and chat GPT kept coming up as well. That was the, yeah. the main theme throughout the conference. Um, the, the, the most compelling one for me was the Dan Pink's talk at the beginning. You actually were missed it because you had a, yeah. a travel day from hell coming in the first day and you missed the opening. There's two keynotes that were back to back, uh, Chad Littlefield and then it, it was great. And then, uh, Dan Pink gave a talk about, um, sort of the new way of approaching work. And, um, one of my favorite takeaways from that talk was, Instead of making a to-do list, which I do, and I have it sitting here on my desk and I cross off as I go, right? He said, make a to-don't list. And he explained <laughs> what that was about. And he said, like, for him, it was, you know, don't check email in the morning. Do your work in the morning. That's when you're most productive. And it has a whole made a whole difference for him. So I've started to do it. I'm a little better. I still I still cheat a what's little bit. What's, what's a to-don't for today? A to-don't would be don't check my email in the morning. Uh <laughs> Don't bother Ryan after 4 p.m. Here's my <laughs> here's my to-do list right now. <laughs> so you have a side-by-side to-do list and a to-don't list? Is that what you're That's what was really helpful. So I'm working on yeah. that, trying to get better at that. And then the other thing that I found, one of the questions I think Chad asked, if you could go back in time uh, and t at your first case comp, case summit, I've been to seven or eight of them, um, what, what advice would you give yourself? And my advice to my, myself back then would have been, don't go to sessions, just network with people and meet people one-on-one. -on -one. It's better out outcomes for all reasons. But uh, there were some really good sessions. I shouldn't say that and make it too public. But um, you know, the, the, the networking time is the most important for me at a conference like that. So I yeah. really enjoyed it. Well, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that as a you know yeah. consultant, small business yeah. owner, you're there to make connections. Yeah, the sessions are great. But uh, and I had, I remember Tracy Plail on the Monday from Pickle Jar Communications. So I remember uh, our guest, uh, Chris Kendrick from LSE mentioned yeah, her work yep, yep. on content strategy. And I thought she did a nice presentation on mindfulness and advancement and got some useful takeaways from that presentation right. as well. But you're right. I mean, a lot of the conference was spent talking to people, you know, yeah. and just you said you had 15 folks. conversations when you were there of substance. Yeah. Yeah, I would say like I, I wrote up some contact reports for myself uh, and, you know, I think I would say there were 15 conversations between Monday morning at seven and Tuesday when I had to fly out at 11 and yeah, yeah. Uh, but including, you know, you're going to some sessions in that time, right? And you're, uh, but you're trying to have as many substantive conversations as you can, yeah. but you're trying to just introduce yourself to some other folks, right? And just exactly. say hi. Yep, exactly right. And from a from a uh, work business development pipeline productivity standpoint, 
highly successful two days for me and I'm sure for you as well. So it's good. I think so. That's for We'll follow up on that particular thread, but let's bring out uh, Temi to join us. We talk about the case conference. We're going to talk about alumni engagement in Canada. And actually, I was remembering our, our friend, uh, Nancy Merritt saying how she crashed the Canadian uh, <laughs> breakfast uh, the conference that folks had broken off and she had gotten the wrong in. Uh, she was supposed director. to go to the CAAE meeting and she went to the CCAA meeting, I think. So you got yeah. <laughs> oh, we were laughing just because she was like, everybody was just so nice and welcoming. <laughs> and even though they knew I was in the wrong room. Like she was from Pitt. Like, Pitt, Pitt yeah, is not yeah, in Canada yeah. last time I checked. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So different vibe there. All right. Well, let's bring out Temi. Hello. How are you? Hi, everybody. Can you hear me? Just checking. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. Coming in loud and clear. Um, it's great excellent. to have you, Temi Akinaina. You're from Western University in London, Ontario. And we've known each other since you were at uh, Concordia University in Montreal. And before that, you had met Chris uh, at um, McGill, right? Do we have that bio, right? Yeah. So you've that is definitely. Correct. And you, so you made this huge jump from uh, Montreal to Ontario and taking on this big leadership role, which I'm sure is incredibly exciting. We're going to dive into it. But I thought maybe you could share a little bit about your takeaways from the case conference and some of the things that popped into your mind throughout. For sure. Thank you. And good to see you again, Chris and Ryan, even though it's just a couple of days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a couple of pieces from the case summit. And, and to your point, uh, you just mentioned the... Uh, the CCAE breakfast. So CCAE is the Canadian Council for uh, Advancement of Education. So kind of the, the Canadian case corollary. And what was really nice um, about being at summit was CCAE hosted us for breakfast and for dinner. Uh, so really looking at the summit as this opportunity for uh, advancement professionals from around the world to get together, to reconnect and to have some shop uh, discussions about the work we're doing, different uh, alumni engagement strategies, and what our institutions are, are doing and thinking at this moment in time. So that was really uh, fantastic to be able to do. And the other piece that was uh, really uh, interesting for me as well were really um, some of the leadership conversations at Summit, uh, just about kind of managing your team um, and, and meeting up with other advancement leaders. So I agree, Chris, that there's really something about being able to reconnect with uh, advancement professionals. I did not, I did not uh, take the strategy of just booking meetings Though I will say that I kept feeling as though I should have had more substantive meetings and conversations with people. So, you know, it's only my first one. Uh, maybe next time I'll do the meeting strategy uh, as well as as well as uh, uh, noting which programs I wanted to go to. And yeah. I also quite enjoyed the, the Dan Pink session. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about it this after um, this morning as well. But certainly AI was on everybody's minds. And uh, I know a lot of us have been talking about ChatGPT, but really what... Um, the opportunities that AI presents for us being more effective in our work and moving us away from maybe some of the busy work towards, you know, more intentional and substantive engagement is, is really exciting for the entire industry. Yeah. Uh, and for those listening live, thank you for tuning in. If you want to introduce yourselves in the comments on LinkedIn, we'd love to know you're joining us. Any questions for Tammy, Chris, or myself, please throw them in the uh, chat, the comment section, the LinkedIn event, and we can see them here in our StreamYard interface. Um, but, you know, I thought one thing that was interesting about the conference as well was there was kind of a bit of a darker undertone to it. I don't know if you all kind of picked that up, but... I must have heard, you know, that we all need to worry about the fact that, you know, perceptions of higher ed are kind of at an all time low and the enrollment cliff is coming. And, you know, it's, it's uh, there was some definitely a little gloom on top of what I thought was some bright spots around technology and, you know, some other some strategies in that area I'm talking about AI. So when you were at uh, the summit, you had the chance to work uh, and get to converse with other leaders in Canada. Tammy, what were the conversations like? You know, what are folks thinking about? Uh, sometimes we focus a little bit, perhaps too much on the US market here, but it's not too dissimilar in Canada, right? What's what is your perceptions? So I think, uh, so to your point, uh, I do agree that there were some kind of gloomier conversations around, you know, what we should be concerned about as an industry. Um, some of the really good conversations I had were, you know, a lot of Canadian institutions are really thinking about our global engagement, our global our, uh, engagement strategies for alumni around the world as well, uh, and what that looks like in terms of the mix of engagement opportunities that we share with alumni. 
Um, you know, there's also, there were also some really interesting conversations around kind of virtual engagement to in-person engagement. And that's, uh, that's of interest to me personally, if, if there's a, anyone uh, who knows me knows that I, I love using virtual engagement as an on-ramp for um, getting alumni uh, into, into our programming and then thinking tactically about what we do once we kind of get them um, excited to be participating with us. Um, and then the the other conversations are some that I would say are are themes within um, within the the industry. But certainly, I, I I love to discuss kind of alumni engagement metrics. What are we measuring, and how, um, and and what does that say about not just the effectiveness, but uh, the next steps for our different institutions? So those are some of the um, conversations I've been I've been having for sure. Yeah. Uh, thanks for. Uh, Burns and Christina and Sheena for joining us and chiming in. You've got your fan base, uh, Tammy, that's that's checking out the show today, which is fantastic. Uh, so, Chris, you know, you've had a chance to work with Canadian institutions. You're an observer of the space in general. You know, what sort of thoughts do you have about alumni and donor engagement programs in Canada? Some of the differences, some of the similarities, uh, just sort of high end, high level thoughts on that. Yeah, I've worked with many, but in depth with um, University of Toronto, University of British Columbia and McGill. So you do a deep dive when you have a chance to do that and you really get to see and understand and learn the culture a bit. And for one, it's just a kinder and gentler uh, <laughs> uh, group of people that you work with in Canada. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, the U.S. is the United States in general is ahead in, in a lot of ways in the fundraising and alumni engagement spaces. But there are certain institutions, and three of them I mentioned, McGill, you know, UBC, and, and I'm sure Western with your leadership will be there, if not already there. Um, in Toronto, I think um, I didn't mention them. But the, um, uh, in terms of advancement, advanced evolutionary stage of an, an alumni program or a fundraising program, generally speaking, the United States is ahead of most of the rest of the world. But Canada has been a place where I've seen examples of pretty sophisticated programs and models that are close to where we are in the U.S. I don't mean to say that in a bragging way. I'm, I'm saying it in a, you know, who has spent the most time thinking and doing these things. Most other places in the world didn't have to worry about fundraising for their higher education system. United, United States system is unique in that it's, you know, funded in many ways by the people who who purchased it previously by their through their donations. And often it's, you know, state or government driven around the rest of the world and, you know, federal government driven. So Canada has seen some models that I think are close to some of the U.S. that I've seen. Um, yeah, another big distinction, and, and more recently than anything else, is the data protection. Just like GDPR in the U.K., Canada's got what we call CPPA or something like that. I think, it's, I think that's it. I wrote it down. Uh, but it's your, your Data Protection Act, which is uh, real. And it's we have a few of that in the States, but it's real um, in, in, in Canada. And then the last thing I'll say is is this. I remember, I won't say which school it was, but we were talking about the net promoter score of, uh, which is, would you recommend blank to a friend or colleague? And in and, and many cases in, in Canada, they, they have some schools that have done an NPS. Would you recommend blank university to another student? And this particular institution had very low scores. In fact, they were negative, which you can get negative 100, positive 100 is the score on an NPS scale. And and the when they got the results back, the, the sort of the response to the result was this. Well, we have spent the last hundred years as an, or whatever number of decades as an institution not treating our students very well, let alone even thinking about our alumni. So I'm not surprised to see the results being that low. It was one of those places where for literally decades, it was, you know, first meeting of students, look to your left, look to your right. One of you won't be here next year. And they were proud of that. That was like a weeding out thing, not a student experience thing. It was a very different model. And so that has resulted in an alumni base that is not all that engaged or, you know, connected. Um, and it's an opportunity, obviously, for going forward. They've changed that and they'll have different results in the future. But those are my quick, not that quick, but observations on Canadian alumni engagement. Yeah, well, you stayed roughly within your allotted yeah, minutes. I know. Of time I, yeah, there. I know. <laughs> like, I thought that was perfectly a reasonable response. Uh, so, Tammy, you've been in your role for a, about a year now. Maybe perhaps just shy coming over from Concordia University. You've been flying around the world, meeting alumni, attending conferences, uh, gathering with other leaders from Canada. What do you What are you thinking about in terms of? Uh, you know, what alumni want and how they hope to engage with the university? Well, so um, there's there's a couple of pieces. So 
When uh, I was thinking about coming to Western, one of the big things for me was just uh, Western alumni affinity is really second to none, you know, and I'm, I'm proud to be able to say that um, because it is a really unique thing and it's a really fantastic thing for an alumni leader to have, um, just having, you know, thousands of, of alumni that are kind of uh, pushing you forward to be able to push the institution forward and to support the institution. So at Western, we have um, over 355,000 alumni in 160 countries around the world. So it's, it's just this fantastic, uh, this fantastic alumni base. And about half of those are, are contactable, um, you know, virtually, digitally. And then obviously we get, you know, higher uh, percentage proportions as we move forward. Um, so in terms of alumni expectations of engagement with the institution, I would say that they're quite high. You know, our Western alumni want to engage virtually, whether it's through lifelong learning, we also have um, fantastic athletic programs, you know, a football program. And then we also have, you know, a brilliant network of volunteers around the world from the Western Alumni Association that's, you know, kind of headquartered in London. We are starting to have more uh, alumni uh, directors from around the world. Uh, but so we have a, a model and a history of both alumni engagement as well as of volunteers interested in what the institution is doing you know, interested in um, how the institution is moving forward uh, and, and, you know, interested in different ways to engage with us. So, you know, I mentioned earlier virtual. I think virtual is uh, this great pathway to get people, you know, into, uh, um, you know, engaging with our with our programs. Uh, but the other piece that has been, I wouldn't say that it's unique, um, but it's also part of the fun of, of um, being in alumni work and talking to different alumni, was our Asian alumni have been really interested in the rankings. You know, so, you know, traveling to Singapore and Hong Kong, and that's also been a targeted focus uh, of the institution and of our president, Alan Shepard, in um, making sure that Western is compete competing smartly in the, in, the, in the areas that we're strong in, you know, and growing our presence worldwide and moving up those rankings. And so, you know, we had a number of conversations with alumni who said that that was really important for, um, for them, you know, because the experience they had at Western was so pivotal to their lives. Um, and being in a culture where the rankings were important, they wanted, um, they basically wanted our position in the rankings to match what, you know, their students, their prospective students um, wanted to have as part of that, as part of that conversation and, and putting Western in the mix globally for them. Yeah. How big is your team, Tammy, real quick? We've got 18 people in alumni engagement. Wow. It's a pretty sizable, pretty sizable team. And so you've, you've, you've arrived, you've, you've done a bit of an assessment on what's going on, what opportunities are, where you'd like to sort of make a mark moving into the future. We'll talk more a bit in depth on those things in the, in the bonus section, but um, talk about how you've been thinking about updating some traditions on campus. We, we talked about one particularly, but I know you've sort of had, have had your eye on and have kind of empowered team members to really say, hey, you know, let's, let's keep the the scaffolding of these initiatives or the, or the, the simple core point of it, but up, I'm open to updating it. Right. Yeah. Well, so, and I think that that's one of the nice opportunities as a new leader at an institution, you know, um, I know the importance of tradition in alumni engagement. And we know that those are, you know, that at every institution, there are traditions and anchors that, you know, really are very meaningful for alumni. Um, but I think some of the opportunities also of the pandemic have been around innovation. Right. What are the what are the pathways for not just our alumni who've always felt um, who've always felt that anchor to the institution? What are the pathways for other you know, groups and whether that's tied to you know, accessibility of our events, our programs um, or that's tied to you know, the diversity of different speakers? What are those opportunities to get more people into the mix? Uh, and one of the one of the, the traditions that is important for an alumni uh, for an alumni team is convocation. So, you know, in the, we've always uh, done traditional convocation receptions, you know, and as part of looking at some of our work, we, uh, you know, I, we spoke with the team and, you know, and they, they came back with a proposal to um, do away with kind of the traditional convocation receptions and actually switch to a model which utilized QR codes and photo booth stations on campus. Uh, and so this was, uh, you know, as part of our convocation programming. Now, obviously, we also wrapped around this with you know, having, you know, a, a new digital publication for, for the recent grads to let them know about, you know, the alumni community they're joining, as well as the benefits and services that'll be, um, that they'll be able to take, uh, take part in. Uh, but, but the, the piece that was so, it, you know, it, it felt, it felt transgressive in thinking about what we're not going to have receptions anymore, we're just going to have these photo booths. Uh, but when you think about the next generation, uh, you know, they're digitally proficient, 
um, they wanted to, to get um, to, to have that moment and then also memorialize that moment with um, you know, these uh, the photos that were taken by professional photographers, and they were able to download those right away. And so my joke was that, you know, um, for example, Ryan, like, you know, your kid isn't yelling at you to take like a fifth photo because she didn't like, you know, your skill with uh, with uh, with the taking of the photos at convocation. I'm like my wife Julie, and she stopped right? asking me at this point. Yeah. Well, see, there you go. So if there's a professional photographer with a photo booth, then you wouldn't have to worry about what that looked That's like, right? Yeah, exactly. And so even just on the, um, you know, so our colleagues in comms um, shared with us that they were some of the most um, shared posts uh, on our Instagram, because uh, obviously the graduating students saw the value in using the photo booths. It was also useful for us in terms of updating a tradition. Uh, and then hopefully uh, the, you know, the increase, we had an increase, I believe it was about 60% in terms of, you know, student usage of the photo booths in terms of sharing their data with us. And then the the goal here is to then follow up on that with our, you know, recent grad programming, inviting them to career services um, that are relevant to them, uh, and then bringing them into the pipeline of alumni engagement. Yeah. So certainly I think it's it's always part of that conversation about what are we doing and, and how do we make it either more expansive, inclusive, accessible? How do we freshen it up a little bit while still keeping the core of what we're trying to do? Oftentimes you said something really interesting and we could talk about it more, but I wonder if not the younger generation of graduates isn't more interested in shareable moments as opposed to events, you know, uh, coming out of different types of experiences with just what you said, you know, a, a light touch, a moment that you can share in your social stream, sort of a, a good feeling for the day and then keep pressing on, right? Uh, but don't necessarily need some of the event ceremony components that we've maybe other generations of graduates have come to appreciate. I don't know, Chris, what do you, what do you think about that? And then if you could sort of chime in on you know, what, what you think is important, a new leader might ought to be thinking about when they take on a role like Temi has. Yeah. Uh, real quick, Mary Eve uh, has put in the question. So he, I don't know if you saw Temi, but uh, uh, does your team include annual giving? Is that on your remit? Do you have that oversight? So it is not on my remit. We've got a really fantastic development team here as well. And so uh, annual giving is within that is within that uh, portfolio. Salut, Maria. So nice to see you. Thanks for joining. <laughs> Maria, thank you for the pronunciation. Um, uh, and thank you for joining. And um, so 18 people, alumni engagement. Uh, that's amazing. So, so back to Ryan's question. One, as a 57-year-old, I don't think about what younger people want and enjoy because I'm not that, a younger person. I, I count on the two of you to tell me what that is. Um, <laughs> but I do think it's it's experiences, it's digital, it's you know all the things we've been talking about. But I, I you know, my work as when I was in the roles and leading shops was to put people around me who knew the answers to those questions, not to, for me to try to figure them out because I had people who did that stuff and. So there's one piece, but advice I give to any new leader and Tammy, I'll give it to you as well is um, number one, the tendency in a new role as the leader, especially if you're a first time leader is to boil the ocean, trying to do everything. Like the strategic plan has 55 priorities in it. And I'm like, focus, focus on the most important three things and do those really well. That's number one um, in your tour. You sounds like you're doing this already, but it's listen more and talk less. Just get out there and see people. And then the third thing, uh, anybody before they get started, hopefully you did this or are executing on it, is what's your 100 days plan? You need to have a plan for the first three plus months to really get on the ground and get it going. And th those are the most important ones, I think, to get started. The fourth one would be hire a, a seasoned consultant to help you do the work <laughs> and get acclimated. Put, put an exclamation point on point four. Point four, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, well, so what does, year two, what does year two look like for you? Uh, tell me as you're thinking about those things, the first hundred days, the accomplishments, you know, and moving forward into the next, this next fiscal year. Well, um, so I, I mentioned earlier that um, we we do have uh, an alumni base with a lot of affinity. Um, so really, for year two, what I'm what I'm hoping to be able to do is look at the baselines of the work we've done in year one, uh, and see what some of those opportunities for a smart growth might be. Sorry, uh, I'm at my mother's condo, and you guys may have heard the the Google uh, the Google Assistant reminding me of something that I'm certainly not going to do because <laughs> okay. I'm on this. Didn't hear. We, yeah. didn't, we didn't catch your we didn't catch your digital assistant. It's okay. Then that's fantastic. Um, yeah. And so, um, 
so I, so I will say, so certainly looking at those baselines for engagement, Chris, to your point, um, we know that, uh, again, we've got this very um, interested group of alumni uh, and an interested group of alumni that also have a base of in-person engagement. So what are the ways in which we can build out that right engagement mix so that hopefully, you know, obviously we're not, um, that, that we have a good number of opportunities for people to engage in ways that they traditionally have engaged and that they enjoy engaging in, um, but also being able to build out new opportunities to bring in, you know, the rest of our, our constituent groups and, and play a little bit with some of the, with some of the new paths that we're looking for. Um, I'm also really excited just to work more with our volunteers. I think that there's lots of room for, you know, leveraging volunteers, um, you know, um, whether it's with some of our content and our programming, uh, as well as uh, the ways in which volunteers are engaged in the work of the university and the institution for providing strategic guidance. So those are the things I'm really looking forward to. Uh, go ahead, Chris. I was going to ask you, I hope I don't I, I, uh, ruin our script for the bonus section, but play off the volunteer thing a little bit more and, and noting that you have Burns Cheadle on the call with us, one of your new board members. So you can't say anything really bad about now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's the challenge you face with an uh, alumni board or volunteers? It, I mean, some of the things we face in the U S I'm sure are similar in Canada, but uh, is it a governance body? Are they helping you tell you to do your work or is it you guiding their advisory? I'm assuming talk about that. A little yeah. Bit. So, yeah, so we've got uh, the Western Alumni Association has an advisory board of directors, um, and the the chair right now is is Melanie Peacock. We've got um, you know we've got a, an incoming chair who also very excited uh, to have into the role. Um, so in terms of the the conversation about volunteers, uh, to your point, Chris, and I know you are very aware of this, the model around alumni volunteer, you know, the the model around alumni volunteer boards is changing. A lot of institutions have been thinking differently around, you know, do we have chapters? Do we have branches? What does that look like? Um, and so, you know, I'm not going to wade into those waters directly here, uh, but certainly some of the the pieces that I'm most interested in is um, using volunteers tactically across our mass engagement programs. And by that, I mean inviting our, you know, our volunteer, our, our directors, uh, directors on our various boards, inviting our volunteers that are engaged in different affinity groups and making sure that we have their presence, we have their, um, that we have their, uh, their expertise and that we're leveraging across, we're leveraging them across all of our, our programs. Because again, I think that that's also an element of, um, bringing in new people into the into the um, the work of the alumni association. The hope too is that by using our volunteers more tactically across our magic mass engagement programs, um, that we will also be increasing um, their uh, affinity for the institution. That they will feel that they are you know doing valuable work. And so so two little uh, points to that. You know obviously um, using them as advocates for some of our digital programs and courses. We're going to be piloting. You know, some courses around kind of climate change and oh. diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, so, you know, having our volunteers join in with us on this, take those classes, you know, share feedback. And you know, my apologies to Sarah if Sarah's on here because I'm sharing this before. Probably we're we're ready to go live on it. Um, right, let's get out in front of the news. Break some yeah, news right? here on alumnus. Yeah. <laughs> Trying not to. Um but certainly, uh, certainly that. And, and, you know, and to your point, Chris, I think, you know, across a lot of institutions, um, volunteer engagement is the metric that often most highly correlates with increased, um, increased engagement in the other categories. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where my thinking is coming from on that. I have two lines I use. They're not lines. They sounds, sounds too trite, but two sort of w words of wisdom, quotes of wisdom when I work with boards. One, I say to the board, and a good board should have their noses in and their fingers out when it comes to strategy and setting the direction. Um, that's your job. That's the staff's job. That's how I believe it. And I'm sure you have you know, similar feelings on it. Uh, and then the other one I say to the, uh, to the staff, I go back to, to your role and I say, you get the board you deserve. Because if you work well with them and work hard on it and manage the volunteers in the right way and keep them in the appropriate, I call it the board posture. If they lean too far in, they drive you crazy. Lean too far back, it's not worth their time. And how do you get it? And that's the work that you, that's called volunteer management. And the work that you do as a leader, keeping them in that right place is uh, is, is the art of volunteer management, frankly. So uh, you get the board you deserve. If they're driving you nuts, you deserve it. And if they're, <laughs> unless you've inherited it, but it sounds like you have a good board. So, but if, they're, if there's something you look forward to when they come to campus, then it's a that's that's what you want to get to. You deserve that too. You get both sides of that. So, 
Well, yeah. And I certainly think that the volunteer piece, the a lot of the conversations we had at Case were about relationships, right? Uh, and that is the core of the work that we do. So really yeah. just building all of that up and that scales, what I'm excited for. And if, you know, folks like Burns don't behave themselves, you just cycle them out, right? You just find <laughs> some new people. And, uh, <laughs> Get better let's, let's bring Burns on for a little bit of the interview and ask him how his experience has been. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we're going to further explore these conversations yeah. and more with uh, Temi in our uh, bonus section of the podcast. So your fan club is going to need to subscribe to the Alumless podcast in order to hear your thoughts in the bonus section. I'd want to say thanks to Jenny Cook Smith for joining us from Case and a big high five on the Hi, conference to all yeah. of her colleagues at Case. Yeah. Thanks for doing that. Hopefully, recovery and, has happened or is still happening, maybe. <laughs> uh, and it sounds like everyone thinks you're the right person for the right job, at least according to the the comments going on on LinkedIn. So, congratulations on all you've done so far and on your role there at Western. We'll pick up the conversation. Uh, Chris, who do we have on next week? In two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. Um, and, and you can help me with pronunciation. It's yeah. Annie Quaddy. Quaddy. Yep. That's what I thought. Uh, from UTEP, uh, who has a really interesting job and an interesting role um, at a really interesting place. So looking forward to having some conversation with Annie from UTEP, University of Texas, El Paso. Utah. Yeah, really, really interesting school, uh, pri primarily a, a Hispanic minority serving school majority, right? Hispanic majority serving institution. And uh, Annie is AVP alumni and donor engagement, doing some great work there. We're excited to have her on in two weeks. Uh, but for now, we'll say goodbye. Have a good weekend, everybody. Pick us up on the podcast to hear more from Temi, and we will see you in two weeks. Thank you, Thank everybody. everybody. So Thanks, nice Sammy. to be here. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us for the bonus section of Alumnus. We are back with Temi Akin-Aina from Western University in Canada. You said London in the first half. I thought some viewers might be like, oh, London, uh, but London, Ontario, right? You are not London, England. You are in Canada. Actually, right now yeah. you're in New York City uh, because you have not left New York City from the case conference where we were uh, uh, connected together earlier in the week. But, you know, I have to admit, uh, Temi, I did not uh, know much about Western University until uh, you announced on LinkedIn that you were arriving there and, and taking the leadership role. And I would be uh, imagine that there are some others out there, some listeners that aren't familiar with Western could you share just a little bit more about the university? And I think you actually shared that the school has some, you know, U.S.-like uh, personality traits, right? Well, yeah. So it was quite it was quite fun being at Case and being here in New York because I kept having to qualify Western uh, for everybody I was meeting for all our, our all our American uh, counterparts. Um, so Western is uh, is uh, as I said, an institution in London, Ontario. My Younger sister lives in London, UK, so I have to say the other London, sometimes depending on who I'm speaking with. Um, it was founded in 1878, and so it's one of the, it's a founding member of Canada's um, U15, so it's our, distinct, our most distinguished re uh, research universities, but it's really been, um, you know, a player on the Canadian scene. So, you know, you did mention uh, Brian and Chris, so knowing UBC, University of Toronto, McGill, uh, so Western is one of those names that we also want to um, you know, uh, people to to be aware of. And, and so that's also partly where um, that conversation about ranking with our university president, with our uh, academic leadership, and also with our alumni, uh, using um, the rankings as a way to highlight our strengths and move the institution forward. We've got about 40,000 students, um, we've got 12 faculties, we've got a School of Graduate and Postdoctoral Studies and professional programs in medicine, um, law and engineering. And the other name that people will sometimes recognize, but that they don't know as Western is the Ivy Business School. So Ivy Business School is our um, business school, and it is uh, very, uh, uh, it's very prestigious, very well ranked uh, in Canada, uh, and is, uh, is a huge driver for international engagement uh, uh, here at the institution. So uh, we, we do a lot of, so I'm, you know, in the central uh, advancement unit, I work in alumni relations centrally. But we also partner a lot with our colleagues at, at Ivy. And certainly when we are um, traveling internationally, look for those opportunities to bring together Western and Ivy graduates to um, leverage our alumni identities in some of those cities. 
Yeah. And, and Ivy has its own alumni engagement team as well, the business school. Yeah. They've got their own alumni engagement team as well as their own uh, alumni development and operations team. Yeah. yeah How many students any... enrolled? Um, at, um, at Western, uh, 40,000. Wow. It's a big school, right? I feel like yeah. one of the things that really surprised me that I hadn't heard of Western, but it's such a big school, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I hadn't heard of it before, but we also sort of discussed one of the similarities about Western is the enthusiasm around athletics, right? Do you have, you mentioned you have a football team and of course, Americans know there's football in Canada, but maybe didn't think about it as an intercollegiate. Uh, yeah. or, or, so tell, tell us how that's uh, sort of framed up there. Well, yeah. So um, we've got the, the Western Mustangs and our, our color is uh, purple. So there's a lot of, uh, generally, there's a lot of either Ghostangs or Purple and Proud um, that, that goes around. We do, the, we do the W sign, which obviously makes sense. Western W. This is not uncommon. Uh, but certainly to your point, yes, there's, a, there's a lot of, well, you, you really mucked that up, Brian. Yeah, I did. I, backwards. Up, yeah. There we go. Oh, no. There we go. That's so yes. easy, wasn't it? Jeez. Yeah, yeah. For listeners, um, I was trying to make a right, W sign. Ryan, we're we're really doing well. we're doing zero on the ignorant American. Uh, <laughs> not helping us. Stereotype not helping here. We're yeah. not helping at all. Zero help on the stereotype. <laughs> yeah, but so but but to your point, so um, we um, our our football team is the Mustangs, um, and uh, I arrived in October and last year. And it was this perfect constellation of the football team were basically um, on the run towards the Vanier Cup, which is our Canadian uh, collegiate championship. And we were also hosting the Vanier Cup. Um, unfortunately, we did fall just short of, of, of the cup and lost to the eventual winners, whose name I will not uh, I will not repeat on this podcast because don't have to um and uh, you know i'm getting i'm getting deep into the fandom right away obviously um yeah. but to your point ryan um it's been really nice uh seeing kind of athletics and football as this entree and this opportunity for alumni engagement and so that's part of where i'm also excited really to use um the the experience of football the experience of the football lounge because we have an alumni football lounge you know and inviting you know new groups of uh, of students of alumni who may not have uh, engaged with kind of the football tradition so you know you'd asked about you know kind of remixing a bit of a tradition so you know inviting different groups uh, different groups of uh, interested alumni and different groups of students to the football lounge to uh, participate in in this big alumni tradition is one of the things we're excited to do this year. So certainly the, the football pieces is, is now a part of my my culture. I've got my got my hoodie. I've got my uh, my superstitions on the go. And, you know, we're ready for we're ready for this season. Yeah, hoodie and superstitions, right? You're speaking the language of a football fan there, uh, sports fan in general, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you looked like you were about to say something there, Chris. No, I, well, <laughs> I thought you were going to, to tell me, but I Googled the uh, who won the 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 Canadian national football. Team. <laughs> so I have the information, but I will not repeat it here. Thank you. And it, it is the rival we discussed, right? Cause I was asking you in the pre-show or is it different, right? Cause it's a different, it's a different rival. So the, right. because of the way that Canadian uh, engagement is, but so, so Chris might be chuckling a little bit. Uh, the team that won is a team from Quebec. Um, and it's, it's not one of my previous institutions, which, you know, this, we're just creating a mystery for all our readers to solve well, here. Well, Western has won the most cups at 15. So, well, no, sorry. While the most appearances is 15, uh, yeah. is Western. So, you guys yeah. have a great yeah. history there. Yeah, and we've got a we've we've got a fabulous football coach. So, I'm not going to go too far down the line of, of, <laughs> of talking about our our football program. Um, also, because I'm new, but certainly it was, uh, it, you know, it, it's uh, to your point. Football is to me seemed more like an uh, American engagement touch point, shall we say. And so it was really, it's been really lovely to meet thousands of alumni at the games, right? Yeah, so over yeah. a season, I just kept meeting, you know, our alumni. I kept meeting different constituents. Um, and as a female sports fan, I, I love to be in the mix. And, you know, I'm, That's as great. I said, I'm taking on all the superstitions. We're inviting everybody out and uh, and leveraging, um, you know, football and athletics engagement for broader alumni engagement. I think it's going to be a fun play for us as we move forward. Well, it's interesting. Just interesting. And then, Chris, I'll let you ask the next question. Actually, we have a. I've got another question here on on yeah. digital. But sure, um, yeah. one of the things that is interesting about if you're from a school with a significant sports affinity is that you either have to sort of lean into it or assess 
the the intensity of it as to whether or not you should lean into it. And you have a school where there's a history of success and winning, right? So leaning into it makes sense. It's really different from a school that doesn't have any real athletics affiliation to lean into and put resources towards, right? I feel like there's a lot of schools that find athletics-based engagement to be you know, the main volume creator in terms of engagement activity, and they need to lean into it. But for those schools that don't have it, you know, it's a different dynamic. Uh, You you mentioned in the the first section, our live show, uh, a number of thoughts around digital engagement, digital initiatives, virtual. How are you thinking about the role of digital engagement in the development of your program. We talked about virtual events and and other, but maybe sort of also how you're thinking about different types of virtual groups and communities and, um, you know, social media, the role of social media in your program. What are your thoughts there? Uh, Thank you. And that's such a big question, Ryan. It is. is. So, so there's a couple of pieces. One is, um, you know, uh, a number of years ago, and, and and Chris will be aware of this, a lot of institutions were talking about the importance of alumni career services, right? The importance of career services, the importance of kind of lifelong learning, um, you know, that aspect as being valuable to alumni and helping them with their careers. And, you know, um, being at the conference and people talking about AI, there, you know, there are a number of stats that people throw out about you know, the percentage of jobs that will exist in the future that have not existed now. And so there, I think that there is a lot of room for the delivery of professional enrichment programs um, that can be really helpful for alumni teams in terms of thinking about relevancy and value. Now, some of the other pieces that I think tie into this conversation is, you know, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, you know, the next generation of alumni engagement. So, you know, Ryan, in, in the um, initial podcast, we spoke a little bit about we spoke a little bit about moments. Um, so I think that um, Gen Z, our younger generations, want to engage differently. So figuring out what those entry points are and how we move forward on those will be really important for us. So I think that that's where the promise of digital lies. It lies in the capacity to scale and also the delivery the delivery of, of programs that we have access to on our institute you know at our institutions we've all got you know fabulous professors interesting research how do we remix that for the next generation and bring people in you know i, I do primarily see digital as kind of a first time engagement touchpoint and pathway you know and then as we bring numbers in at scale then we can think about what are the you know what are the different funnels ideally to get um, our alumni more engaged uh, and then drive them towards deeper engagement opportunities. And Andrew Gosen at Cornell, who I worked with for five years, used to say, and still says it, um, but that offline engagement will lead to online engagement and vice versa. Online engagement will lead to offline engagement. So, so it's really, he had a little virtuous circle he talked about, and it really was a compelling discussion. I'm, I'm going to broaden our aperture here a little bit. Um, We've been talking about athletics and digital, but let's go wider and think, you know, when you are in a role like you're in and still, I would say relatively new, you set a course of where you want to go and start to think about your vision. And there's, I like to think of the term, the North Star that we're headed towards. What's your North Star as you build your alumni program there at Western? Well, so we're, I think most institutions are in a campaign, right? Or, you know, or in the quiet phase of a campaign. Exactly. Um, and so, um, in setting up my role, the, the VP was really clear and, and he's a Western grad. He's got kids that are Western students. He's got a son that's a Western student as well as his dad was a Western grad. So Western really wow. runs, runs deep and, yeah. and, um, yeah, our VP of advancements family. Um, so alumni engagement was really uh, important to him. And so the notion of, uh, alumni engagement at scale, I would say, you know, um, that's kind of the North Star's how many alumni, like increasing our alumni engagement efforts so that we can get many more alumni uh, involved. And then I am also interested in, you know, what are the opportunities to build up engagement right. in specific areas? Yep. I think yeah. I think about the first part in breadth of engagement, more people under the tent, the case metrics, for example, the case AEM actually yeah. looks at breadth of engagement. And Many yeah. institutions are, are looking at specific areas or building what I would call a weighted or scored model that helps you yeah. work on the depth of engagement. Both, I think, are important. But yeah, so those would be those would be my north star. And 
trying to agree with you about not boiling the ocean, but you know, I do think that there are big things to work on. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Just take a few ponds and lakes and start there and then get to the ocean later. <laughs> what uh, you've been there now for uh, enough to sort of get the lay of the land. You haven't been through a full cycle yet, but what's, what surprised you? Anything that, that you weren't expecting when you arrived there? So, so I saw this question and um, I, I don't know that I necessarily have, you know, a, a clear answer for it. I think, you know, um, I have spoken to it a little bit. Um, the, the, the alumni affinity was one that just kind of tickles me in every moment. Yeah. I'm just yeah, like, this is it. wild. It's great. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so so I think that that's that's the piece. I, I have a story I tell about when I started out at McGill. I I hosted an alumni trip, and um, you know, uh, a Western grad came on that trip. She was the spouse of uh, you know, uh, I guess a, a McGill doctor or whatever, and she came on that trip prepared with every single uh, element of Western paraphernalia she had. She had her own purple <laughs> lanyard. Like she was not going to be mistaken for any other institution's alumni. Um, so certainly, uh, the depth of that affection and the intensity of that, I think. Um, is, you know, it's, um, it, it, it honestly can be both a blessing and a curse, right? As we look at what engagement strategies look like and, and what the mix yeah. of those look like and try to make some changes, I think that those are, are pieces that we'll certainly be contending with. It makes sense that you've got a, a lot of school spirit going on, a lot of, you know, existing culture would, there would be, as you say, a, a pushback if you were to revise old traditions and, the double-edged sword of having this vibrant, uh, excitable alumni base. Although I suppose I would take that compared to, yeah. you know, essentially a dormant base where you were sort of starting from scratch. But Chris, is that, yeah. would you yeah. say I the same? I remember standing up in front of 2000 Cornell alums at a reunion event and saying, the best thing about being in this role is that you have alums who care deeply or passionate, have opinions about this place that it's so great. The worst thing about this job is that you have so many alumni who care deeply and passionate and opinions about this place because <laughs> it goes yeah. both yeah. ways. Yeah. yeah. Probably got a good, well, good laugh at that one. Huh? It did. It did. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and the other piece, I think, actually, and, and I don't know if it's surprised me, but it is something that we all have to contend with is, um, I would say, kind of, you know, affinity group engagement and, you know, uh, the histories of our institutions when it comes to thinking about um, the experiences people had on campus and how we talk about those, how we frame those. It's been interesting seeing some of our American colleagues who talk about this in the language of belonging. I believe Case also speaks about it in the language of belonging, you know, and so working with, um, you know, different alumni constituent groups that may not have had the best, um, op uh, that may not have had the best student experience. And so thinking about what that looks like from, you know, um, from like kind of a position of today and future state of engaging with, say, with, with Black alumni at Western, mm -hmm. with building out an understanding around Indigenous alumni and what are the ways in which we support, you know, those groups' uh, engagement opportunities and their desire for connection. And in some cases, possibly, um, you know, a, a distrust or a mistrust of the institution, you know. So one of the pieces um, that, you know, I think institutions have to grapple with and contend with as we do this work is um, balancing both the, the volunteer piece of that and, and the, the affinity group um, uh, portion of that conversation with also the institutional, um, almost, I would say, institutional mandate to share either information or learnings with our with our alumni constituents about, you know, whether it's the work that we're learning on campus, our alumni association um, gave a very generous donation to help create a new indigenous learning center on campus. Mm. And so using, using um, our own kind of pulpit as the opportunity to share more of that knowledge and learning um, with, with our total alumni base. So it's not just, you know, only our indigenous alumni get indigenous content, right. Uh, around their volunteer engagement, right. but that we're using, you know, broader engagement strategies uh, all, you know, through our programming here. That makes sense. And I, and I think uh, most schools are trying to figure out the way to uh, think about and grow, uh, engage their communities of color and um, really bring to life engagement strategies that can scale up that are designed to connect the, the university with the communities that don't necessarily always have the best feelings about their college experience, but still really want to help, right? And particularly mm -hmm. around retention of students, right? Making sure uh, students can graduate, being mentors and things of that nature. Um, so, you know, again, yeah. broadening out the conversation, 
did you want to add do you want to add to that yeah, just very quickly that, so for yeah. example, I, I went to McGill as a 17 year old, you know, a 17 year old and I, and I came from Kenya. I went to, I graduated high school in Kenya and, you know, some of the, the communities that, that supported me were, were the student groups, right? So I, I was very active in the McGill African Student Society, right? Um, um, I did a lot of kind of, you know, international student engagement. Um, and so I think that those are certainly, I think, you know, when we think about it, you know, students found that community on campus, but often they had to do a lot of the work themselves. And so thinking about the ways in which we port that over into, you know, the uh, the understanding of alumni community and how we try to either not necessarily recreate that, but allow for those pathways um, for those to exist um, and to build up those communities again and share it with the rest of our alumni base um, is a really useful way of, of showcasing the growth of our institutions um, and the different uh, networks of communities that exist and that have always belonged on campus. That, that notion of community building and even the issues around belonging and inclusion, and as you are well aware in the United States, it really depends on what state you're in or whether or not you even can head down that path and have those kinds of That's conversations. True. That is true. That not is true. true. Yes. Canada or provincially, and there's no difference, right? It's Canada's kinder and gentler in all ways, would it be my expectation. So is it true? Yeah. Well, so I would say that um, there are different conversations around, you know, how we are able to track and measure um, affinity groups. And so a lot of institutions are trying to do that work differently. So I would say up until recently, um, within the last couple of years, we didn't have very much of that data on, you know, our, our students of color, or it wasn't necessarily ported over from the student database to the alumni database. And so that's where we have, you know, almost these these dual um alumni engagement strategies of having it be kind of volunteer led so that the uh, students and the alumni who are engaged in those groups can continue to engage, but also thinking about, well, what does it mean, like from an institutional point of view, what are we saying about the way with the ways in which our, student, our institutions are trying to, you know, whether it's grow our international student base, what are we saying about the value of global engagement, about the value of DEI? And making sure that that's also um, that's also shared because it is a part of that conversation too. Yeah. So uh, no matter how whatever uh, restrictions or, or or concerns you may have, it's still kinder kinder and gentler than <laughs> in some states here in the U.S. So. But yeah, Not certainly. All, but. Uh, yeah, there's. Uh, I saw some of the. I saw one of the one of the sessions at case was about the um, the affirmative action rulings in the states and and what that'll mean for. Um, what that'll mean for the future of higher education, and I think it's a, it's obvious, it's obviously a bit of a miss. It's quite sad to see some of that. Yeah, I agree. One of our current clients, Chris, is in Florida, and I've had you know a number of interviews, including with their DEI leads, and it was really interesting because they were saying how a lot of people reach out and say, "Are you doing okay? You know, is everything going all right?" Like because they're in Florida, but their emphasis on continuing to grow programs in support of Hispanic community, the Black community, are even stronger now, I think, amongst the university community. Great Just to hear. The rhetoric at the state level. That was one thing that kind of surprised me because I think I was anticipating, I was imagining a drawback a little bit, uh, even just in terms of you know pushing program development. But I thought that was really interesting, maybe part of another a conversation for another day, but certainly an important piece of the whole industry perspective around mm -hmm. what's going on in our space. And I was going to ask you, you know, if we have you back on alumnus in a couple of years time, you know, three years down the road, what do you think we'll be talking about from an industry perspective? I know this is pure speculation on your part, of course, but what, do you, what comes oh, to mind? God. What's going to be the next thing post like AI and chat GPT? Like what is the next level yeah. of whatever that is? I think we'll be talking about that. Um, yeah. You know, it's been interesting and, and I'm sure, you know, everybody's either kind of thinking it or engaging with it. Just the speed of, um, you know, the adoption of AI and the different technologies that are out there. Um, so I think that those will be some of the conversations. I think, you know, our key I don't necessarily want to say issues, but one of our key concerns is, you know, how do we scale, right? How do we scale the work we're doing? How do we scale the follow-up? You know, how do we kind of focus on impact? And so I think that, you know, I'm excited for whatever tools that'll exist that, that'll help us move towards that. Um, and, and just to kind of go back to, you know, just um, to, to, to pull on the one of the threads from the, the conversation we were just having, um, you know, Chris, that there is, you know, opportunity in crisis. 
So I, I wonder if some of these prices are going to move towards, you know, a more almost trust-based understanding of alumni engagement where, you know, we have alumni who are really kind of happy to and excited to be engaged with us and to share what their interests are at, you know, almost a granular level. And, and so we've built up that understanding of, you know, what it is they want from us and that we're able to share, you know, much more, um, you know, much more in, in a relevant fashion, what they want to do and, 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 and we're able to match up opportunities uh, for engagement much more seamlessly than we do now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, how we, how in, I look at my, I live 10 minutes from my alma mater. In fact, a minute from the athletic campus. And I worked there for 19 years and they know me pretty well. And I still get things from them that are as if they have no clue who I am. And it just drives me nuts. <laughs> Uh, I've had the same experience with my, I live 10 minutes away from my alma mater. And, you know, like they, last I had a meeting with a leadership gift officer, they forgot that I had just spent the whole year volunteering first, or it wasn't in their contact. <laughs> like I had been volunteering to help them in a way in the last year. And the leadership gifts, I didn't know that. Still love my alma mater, but there's plenty of work to be done. And the synchronization of efforts between the alumni engagement side and the development side, right? Making sure that contact reports and and that there's a all that that systematic piece of the puzzle of of um, creating a pipeline continues to get put in place uh well so let's think about um my favorite two questions my favorite time of each show is when we get a little more reflective on what you are thinking about what gets you inspired what gets you most excited about your work in this field and where do you find inspiration for the work that you do? I think there are, you know, to your point, Ryan, there are elements of the same question. I, um, I, as cheesy as it sounds, I think education is, um, you know, one of the, the ways in which we can change lives at scale, you know, so even as there is concern around you know, where higher education will go, some of those pieces, people are always going to want to come to university and you know, I've said to others that how can you not be excited to work at an institution where an army of, you know, teenagers descend upon you every year and you have to engage <laughs> with them and learn with them and be aware of their expectations and, you know, kind of, you know, wanting to make them better humans and citizens of the world. So I think that the work that we do is um, is inspirational. Uh, but I also just, uh, I, I, uh, I'm a digital native. I love the internet. I read all the things. I listen to all the things. So I think inspiration comes from everywhere. I think, you know, um, whether it's in the entertainment field, we're seeing, you know, fantastic shows, movies, the ways in which people are connecting. I think those are all uh, valid pieces around how we communicate with each other, how we build, you know, communities. And and those are the things that I'm excited to just kind of keep diving into and, and working on at an institution with a lot of ambition. I think it's going to be lots of fun. Well, we're excited to see all the great work you're going to do at Western University. It seems like a good place to leave it for today. I have one uh, more thing. Chris, just kidding. Chris has one more thing. Quick one. Just kidding. In the spirit of AI and ChatGPT, I put in to ChatGPT, give me a short thank you statement to read to a guest of ours on a podcast. Her name is Temi. She works at Western University. And so I'm going to read it to you. A chat in one Please? second for me to read. I love it. I love it. I'd like to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to our distinguished guest, Temi, from Western University's Alumni Engagement Program. Thank you, Temi, for joining us today and sharing your valuable insights. Your presence has enriched our webinar and podcast, and we truly appreciate your time and, exper and expertise. That is a really how, lovely how, statement. How, that was how, so how fast. How AI isn't going to take everybody's jobs, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's the way to end we'll, it. Right we'll, there, still right? have, we'll still have to execute. But yes, no, that was great. Thank you so much, right. Chris. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you to our listeners for taking the time to make alumnus part of your routine. We're grateful to have you. Thanks for Temi, who admitted she is also a listener from time to time. Yes. I think Saturday are, mornings, I think um, you said, on your walk yeah. to your favorite <laughs> coffee shop. I think it was something that you mentioned. Uh, Chris, yes, uh, as always, good to see you in person you, yeah. and uh, at Summit this week. We'll be back in two weeks with Annie Quaddy, who texted me during the show. She's like, how do I prepare for alumnus? So we'll have to give her some. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's ready and, and she's ready to go in two weeks. 
Actually, she's not ready to go. She asked me how to prepare for it, right? So I need to. We always tell guests it's 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 goes quick, it's fun, easy, and a little light prep. Are we right? Light prep. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it was very well done. I I had a lot of fun, and the prep was excellent, Ryan. We had a quick conversation. The script went out. It was great. Awesome. Well, you were a great guest. Thanks for joining us, and for all the listeners out there, have a good weekend. Until the next time, see you later. See ya. Thank you, guys. Bye now. You. 